2019 Ryan Johnson who done it knives out we're going to talk about a one minute of screen time at a time I am your host for this week I'm Paul Francis Sullivan please call me Sully I am the host of Locked On MLB podcast and of Bull Durham Minute and on today's episode we're going to be breaking down minute 108 which begins with Benoit Blanc making a reference to Jacob masturbating in the bathroom while <laughs> setting up the ending and ends with a close-up of Harlan listening to Ransom calling Marta a Brazilian nurse or someone who is maybe a nurse, but I do not believe is from Brazil. I didn't have as clean a transition for this one. <laughs> is she Uruguay maybe or Portugal? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Not sure. All the way from, what is it, Montevideo? What is the, the that's the... <laughs> I've always been fascinated by the name of that that uh, city because actually it's video in its name. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go. It's, it's Robin Burge of Karate oh. Kid. Man. Let's just let's just let's get right into it. How yeah, you doing, I am sitting in my my knife chair and uh, I've taken every one of the knives and pointed them out just for this recording. <laughs> well, in the southern hemisphere, the knives go out, and in the northern oh, hemisphere, yeah, yeah. they go in. I think that's how it works. That's true. Well, you know, I'm if I was calling from New Zealand, uh, I would definitely have them pointing out. But now they're in, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never been to South America. My first girlfriend was from South America, uh, but uh, that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been, I worked at a company at one point that did a bunch of business trips to Brazil. And I was like, hmm, I, maybe I'd like to go to Brazil. And I took a business trip to London, uh, to different parts of the country. So I thought, I didn't check that off the list. And um, I happened to be terrified of spiders. They just freak me out. Mm-hmm. And tarantulas are like, I have tarantula nightmares, like jumping out of my bed, screaming. Uh-huh. I, literally, I literally don't, I can't look at a photograph of a tarantula without freaking out. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone I know went down there. So yeah, we went to the business center and then we took a trip. We took the beautiful photographs all around Brazil. And man, you won't believe how big the spiders are there. I said, nope, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, no thanks. Okay, you can either go to um, Rio de Janeiro or Sacramento. Sacramento it is! Yeah, yeah. Scenic, beautiful, romantic Sacramento! <laughs> Less spiders, definitely. <laughs> and do it totally accidentally. Do you know what I did in Sacramento in February of 2019? What's that? I saw the movie Knives Out. Oh. I just, I just <laughs> totally accidentally. <laughs> I, I was in Sacramento for the weekend doing something for work and um that night i had nothing to do i was alone and i said i am going to see knives out and i'm pretty so sure they, i know what, what snack that you bought at the snack bar oh tell me yeah, bloody mentos obviously yeah well to be fair 
<laughs> to, to be fair, they were junior mints, but that's neither oh, here nor yeah. there. Let's just move right on because I'm not going to go. I don't want to turn this into Spider Minute. No, this is <laughs> Knives Out Minute. And we were starting to talk in the the previous minute how the uh, the technique of repeating shots that we had seen before yes. is really great, especially when you're at a scene like this where you're trying to piece together the puzzle. Uh, I, it dawned on me in our uh, in the little break we had in between recording these episodes, I had mentioned The Usual Suspects and The Conversation as two great films that use the technique of showing you something that the first time you saw it, what the heck was that? And then the next time, you, the more times you see it, the more like, oh, I think I get what I'm looking at now. And now I get it. And I forgot the 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 greatest example of that uh, is JFK, the Oliver <laughs> Stone film. Back into um, the left. I mean, the whole, their entire scenes, like, that was a weird shot they threw there. Then, then later it was, and then he walked in through the, you know, another person doing a wild Louisiana accent is Costner uh, in, in that film. Uh, I happen to be, and I talked about this on Bull Durham Minute because obviously that's another Kevin Costner film. Mm-hmm. I, I have grown to love the movie JFK if you watch it the way you watch Knives Out. And let me let me let me let me connect the two because okay. it sounds weird. If you watch JFK as here is a documentary of what happened and an explanation of the real motive and events of November 22nd, 1963 in Dallas, then you will your head will explode like a scene from scanners because <laughs> there are so many holes in their explanation uh not the least of which is the concept of the magic bullet where they show well look at it it goes here zigzag zigzag because they line the people up sitting the same way lining up as if it goes directly in behind them when you actually see how they're sitting someone's body is twisted he's looking back he's leaning over there if you then line those up yeah that makes sense now but if you line them up sitting i'm sitting for like two lego figures snapped into a car then no that's not how they were sitting the bullet wouldn't go through like all these different holes in the plot but if you look at it as Here's a mystery film, a kind of a wild whodunit, where you have a ton of movie stars, including Costner and Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau and Kevin Bacon and Joe Pesci and Sissy Spacek, uh, all these, you know, Donald Sutherland, Ed Asner, all these, these famous actors chewing up scenery like they do in this film. And then you have this big summation by a big movie star affecting a Louisiana accent for reasons that are still unknown. <laughs> And that if you're and you're taking all the pieces together, and at the end you're like, oh, all those pieces together in the universe of this movie fit together. In the universe of what actually happened, they don't fit. But if you're just having fun watching, I have fun watching JFK as a mystery film, mm-hmm. not as a call to action for social justice, which is what Oliver Stone wanted. But instead, he made an Agatha Christie film. If you watch it like that. JFK is a great movie, not a good movie, but a great movie. Mm-hmm. If you watch it as, I think I'm going to now learn what happened in Dallas. No, you're not. So have fun with it the same way you have fun with Benoit Blanc 
And I just kind of <laughs> wish that uh, Kevin Costner really just completely cannonballed into his Louisiana accent instead of doing it half-baked a la – I think he did that the same year he did Robin Hood. So in one year, he half-baked an English accent uh, yeah. and a Louisiana accent. It was I think it was the same year, if I remember correctly. That was the year Kevin said, I wonder if I should do voices. And the, and the world said, no. Yeah. We know what you sound like, Kevin. So, yeah, that, and so, but that film, like you would see – not just De- you know, Dealey Plaza over and over, but also, you know, uh, Gary Oldman doing something over and over, Joe Pesci doing something over and over. The first time it did, it made no sense. And the more the film go- went on, you're like, oh, that's because he did that and he was being paid by this and Tommy Lee Jones did that. Mm-hmm. And it makes it, you know, repeat viewing. God bless anyone who tries to do JFK Minute. You're, you, know, <laughs> you, may, you may get a stroke from watching that film a minute at a time. But uh, it... It's great fun, and it's and and I didn't think I would bring up JFK, but then again, the last minute I talked about how someone at the Fish King wanted to murder me. So who See, knows what? They, who I thought knows it was going about? to. Uh, I thought this was going to devolve into a Seinfeld conversation, but then I realized because uh, you had mentioned uh, Junior Mints uh, at the top of the show, and then I realized oh! no, it wasn't a Junior Mint; it was a Magic Loogie in the <laughs> Seinfeld. So I got those two episodes yes. mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's such a great – and, of course, the the wonderful in-joke – there's two wonderful in-jokes of that Seinfeld episode. One is the the last line of that scene is, uh, you know, she says, let's go to the movies. And Elaine said, have you, see, have you seen JFK? And then Jerry said, no, not yet. So it's up to say that. <laughs> um, as a rabid baseball fan, the fact that that was also the Keith Hernandez episode – um, and they also featured the, the second spitter, they said, was Roger McDowell, who was a Mets pitcher. And they got actually Roger McDowell uh, <laughs> to play Roger McDowell in that scene. But uh, also, um, when they did the scene in the film JFK, they did the recreation of the two dudes sitting in the two dudes, Jesus, of Kennedy and Connolly uh, <laughs> sitting in the the car. But I say the two dudes, that there was the two members of Costner's law office simulating them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, incorrectly, as I mentioned before, they were not sitting face forward. You know, their bodies were twisted. If you look at the actual film, um, the person in the law office in the Oliver Stone film, JFK, who's sitting up front to model Connolly, was Wayne Knight. And who plays Newman Oh, yeah, of and, course. And, and he's sitting in the same spot. <laughs> so when they recreate that scene, Newman's in the real scene in JFK and in the parody scene in Seinfeld. That's hysterical. That's really funny. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, the, this, it, that became a very meta scene. Uh, and there's also in, in that I don't, we are so deep in the woods. <laughs> if, if, folks, we're eventually going to talk about Knives Out. It's JF but, Knives Out in a minute. The uh, – uh, <laughs> In that Seinfeld episode when they were doing the JFK, the Zapruder film parody, and they made the video look grainy like the Zapruder film, there is a uh, a famous detail of Dealey Plaza of that, of that uh, just before Kennedy shot, where a guy opens and closes a, an umbrella, which is believed to have been the signal. Signal, yeah. And when... In that parody, when you see Newman and uh, Kramer walking after the Mets game, there's a guy opening and closing an umbrella in the shot. So whoever the director was, and they, they didn't cut to it, but it's like, if you notice that, we're going to throw in the the umbrella guy into this too. So like, like 
you know, I'm not sure if I want to do a JFK minute, but I'd love to do a magic loogie minute. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of loogies, that brings us back to (laughs) where where he's talking about masturbation. Another Seinfeld episode. (laughs) I love that Blanc just kind of assumes that Jacob was masturbating in the bathroom. I I just, I, I, because this kid is a a, a complete jerk, you know, you're just like, ah, whatever. The kid's probably masturbating in the bathroom and let's just keep accusing him of it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's sitting there with his device, but I don't know. Uh, And and, a funny thing about this kid, uh, this is uh, Jaden Martell uh, who plays Jacob. Uh, Of course, known probably mostly for playing Bill in the it remake. Uh, oh, I didn't. I did I never saw the It remake, so I, I, yeah. I didn't know that's who we played. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he plays Jacob here, and uh, the Apple series defending Jacob. Uh, he plays Jacob as well, and uh, in that series, he's actually Chris Evans' kid. Chris Evans oh. plays his dad. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when Heidi Bennett and I did our minutes back then, we we determined that his agent only gets some scripts where he plays someone named Jacob. So <laughs> if they remake the Tim Robbins film, Jacob's Ladder, guess right. what? You've got a gig, buddy. Right. That's true. I'm getting you some work. I'm getting you some <laughs> didn't, work. Didn't they remake that? I'm pretty sure they oh, did. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. <laughs> I, just, I This was the first Jacob I could think of. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, we, we've seen this shot before. And, um, you know, great scenery chewing, great eye work by Daniel Craig, which is one of the things, as I said, I I, I keep hitting this point, but we keep seeing reasons to mention this, is we see how much fun Daniel Craig is playing someone who is just so not James Bond, Mm -hmm. because especially his portrayal of James Bond, where he made the decision to take it very seriously, getting back to the Ian Fleming novels and everything. There's a certain uh, seriousness, you know, grinding his teeth element to Bond that he's chosen to play, and and he's played it very, very well. Thank you very much. But to have his eyes bug out and having it move around, that's something he could never do. And so you're seeing he's he's having fun on the playground. I'm fairly and, certain this is his best role that I've seen him in. I'm just looking over his IMDb and I love him as James Bond, but he's James Bond, you know, it's nothing too. And, and, and it's not too surprising that uh, Daniel is completely up for get joining a sequel to knives out because uh, he gets to relish in this character again. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have, I have, I have thoughts of, I have concerns about a knives out sequel, unless they are going to do wedding knife. <laughs> which was uh, as a way to make yeah. peace with that, that homicidal author in Florida. <laughs> I'm going to have Benoit Blanc go to Florida, go to like go to Miami or someplace like that and solve a mystery there instead of uh, suburban Massachusetts. Right. Um, I, I've said this in the previous episode that I would like to see Ryan Johnson get this cast together and do a completely different film and have this be like an ensemble. Oh, you that know, would be how- cool. Kind of like how American, uh, was it American Horror Story gets a lot of the same actors back to play different roles in the next season, uh, or the way that you know, direct. I mean, I know Woody Allen turned out to be a horrible person, but he brings the same actors back, and, or the way Spike Lee would have like virtually the cast of Do the Right Thing did Mo Better Blues and uh, Jungle Fever. We would just add you know, Wesley Snipes to one and Denzel Washington to the other. So you bring in another star to join this 
collection of actors to have fun. But I would love to see them do a different genre. Like maybe they'll do a film noir or maybe they'll do a, you know, some other some other kind of film, you know, a heist film or, or a caper or a chase film or something where you get to see everyone play against type again instead of trying to capture lightning in a bottle for a second time. But they'll they'll inevitably make a sequel to this with Benoit Blanc because there's too much money to be made. Yeah, that's true. I would love at least uh, to have uh, uh, Anna, Anna de Armas, uh just play Marta uh, somehow being wrapped up in another mystery. Uh, right. Because I, I, that's one thing I'm looking forward to about No Time to Die is the fact that Daniel Craig and Anna de Armas are going to be uh, working together again. Um, so, well, As I, I pointed out in a previous minute, She's playing Marta in the upcoming Bond film, <laughs> same character, and so this is what this going. There's going to be a crossover, and we have the technology to have Benoit Blanc and James Bond. <laughs> yes, that would be a great team up. <laughs> By the way, do you just hit me? Do you know two people who I think would be, I would love to see in a uh, a, a Benoit Blanc mystery that he has to butt heads with would be. Pierce Brosnan and Timothy Dalton. Oh, yes. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, because Timothy Dalton is a terrific actor. He mm-hmm. really is. He's And he's been a terrific actor since uh, The Lion in Winter in the late 60s. And he is a, a you know Shakespearean-trained actor. And I'll go down and I'll say it. He was a very good Bond. He only made two of them. The second sure. Bond film was Rotten. License to Kill is one of the worst Bond ever. Uh, Living Daylight's one of the best Bonds, mm-hmm. period. End of sentence. He's, a tr- he's terrific. And he was doing stuff in 87, I think that film came out in, that people are like, oh man, our Bond is, he's being too serious. And like, but the stuff that Daniel Craig was later praised for doing, yeah, I think people, it was like, it was too much of a transition between Roger Moore basically treating it like a cannonball run film, and <laughs> uh, which by the way, he also was in. Yes. Uh, but, uh, and, and Timothy Dalton portraying it like he is, you know, doing Macbeth. Uh, I think that was too much for audiences in 87, but I think that he, to have him there, and I think Pierce Brosnan is a much more interesting, older character actor than outrageously handsome leading man. I think that mm-hmm. he's, and I would love to see just the the meta moment of three Bonds. You know, Connery is retired and probably is, probably is not physically, you know, well, uh, but uh, just the the sort of the meta moment of three bonds in one scene, I think, would be would be really really cool. Absolutely, uh, you know, and it, it, and if Connery's, I don't know what his health is like, but I'd love to see him in like a Harlan Thrombey kind of role. Oh, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah, another uh, cast member from the Man Who Would Be King because you know that yeah. was also Christopher Plummer. Uh, apparently, Connery is not well, or like because he's ninety, right? Yeah. I mean, and he he turned down doing Indiana Jones because he felt he couldn't do it. And the role that who played the older in Skyfall was it Brian Cox? No, Albert uh, Finney. Albert Finney. Yeah, what am I thinking? Yeah, Albert, we just murder in the Orient Express. Yes, Albert Finney. Uh, that role of an older eccentric Scottish man that Bond goes back to see was written for a certain oh, older Scottish man. That would have been so great. And to have that meta moment of this is where he grew up and the man there was going to be Connery. Yeah. Uh, 
and have that be his farewell to the Bond series as opposed to freaking Never Say Never Again, which is one of, or as I like to call it, Never Say the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull Again. That's a real (laughs) rough film to watch, Never Say Never Again. Um, But no, Connery said, I can't do it. Not going to do it. And Uh which which is a... uh, a little window into yeah he's not photographed he's in his 90s he's turning down major movies the man's not well yeah so, so you know it's too it, bad because christopher Plummer seems to be i mean he's 88 89 in this movie and yeah. uh he's just doing some great work here oh, uh, yeah. christopher Plummer has found a new peak in his career i mean getting oscars and more i mean he's been nominated three times won one he's the the patriarch in this big hit movie here he's replacing great. kevin spacey in yeah. movie. <laughs> he's great in inside man and to talk about spike yep. lee though with the that, that film he's wonderful he's he's you know he's you know the, a little earlier than that uh he's great in 12 monkeys i mean he's he's yes. putting on uh age i mean he seems to be still with it um uh, you know the the senility i don't know if there's senility is a factor with connery either i mean like my dad is my dad is younger than christopher Plummer, uh and my dad's you know his his senility is just you know through the roof right now and i'm not trying to bring it down here but like i've met people like my dad my dad is is you know is in a home right now because of his dementia and but there are people who are older than like like his older brother my uncle is older than my dad who is you know sharp as a tack it, 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 it just it's the brain is a weird thing and so clearly someone like christopher Plummer is still you know super sharp and uh i'm guessing when you have a huge movie star like sean connery just been like two decades not being seen uh, i'm guessing he's not well yeah that's too bad. I yeah. Like, what was his last movie? The Avengers. <laughs> uh, no, uh, was uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh yeah, mm. which is just as bad. Yeah, and he he famously turned down a couple of big roles like uh, the Matrix. He turned down the role that went to Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, oh, wow. Spiel- Spielberg really wanted him to play the John Hammond role in Jurassic Park. Oh. Yeah. Um, and in fact, at one point he wanted, he wanted Connery to play John Hammond and he wanted Harrison Ford to play the role that Sam Neill played. He wanted it to be an Indiana Jones reunion. Oh. Uh, um, I, I think everyone worked out fine. Yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford decided to do the fugitive. Uh, and, <laughs> and to be fair, I think having uh, Sam Neill, who was not an action star, star in that film where you felt like he could get eaten by a dinosaur as opposed to seeing indiana jones running through the jungle well you know he's going to turn out okay yeah. so um uh welcome to uh knives out minute where we break <laughs> down the casting decisions of uh jurassic park and the senility of sean connery and i talk about my dad i've got, uh, a, I've got a few other notes here though if you want me yeah, to go let, through. no let's get let's get back into it this is by the way we in this we have a great great truck in on christopher Plummer. yes and we get to hear him say the line not a red dime which in the previous scene, Michael Shannon said, like dad used to say, not a red dime. And so we get to hear him say that in context here. Yeah. How cold is it that I just feel like, 
family's family. I don't know. I just feel like how cold is it that Harlan is just completely going to leave everything to Marta? Do you, are you, I mean, we've seen these characters They're. I mean, to me, I'm like, I can't see too much bad about Jamie Lee Curtis's character about Linda, because I just feel like she's kind of like an ice queen, but that's the only thing that I can see that's wrong with her. I can understand cutting off people like, uh, I mean, Joni, who is robbing him, double tipping. Sure, cut her off. Uh, But like, I don't know, Walt, Walt is kind of a a jerk. Like they're jerks, but I don't know if they're really. Uh, Walt, cutting Walt out makes sense in a way because he is a remora. He is just someone who has built nothing, has no skills. The only thing he does is supposedly manage the the novels but he doesn't do anything because harlan's not selling the the rights so what are what are you even doing and there's there's an element of you need to grow up and quit leeching off and you've been already anything you have in your life is based on what i'm doing and then what are you going to do and it's almost like and and his scene that he has with him earlier in the film was almost a little bit of a father saying, I'm going to, I'm taking the training wheels off of you. You've got to learn how to do something because eventually I'll be gone and not churning out a book every year for you then to do nothing. And I think that's good to do while he's alive, but I, I struggle to understand like why he is so, it can be so cruel to be like that. I mean, the will is like the final thing. There's no coming back. If he's alive and says, I'm cutting you off right now, you're going to spend the next couple of years figuring out what you're going to do with yourself. And we'll see if I end up leaving you some money when I pass away. But the will just leaving all the money to Marta, that is just a complete two fingers raised, two middle fingers raised backing into the ocean kind of move. Uh, and I kind of feel like it's just a little, a little bit too harsh because in the end, those are your kids. These are still well, your kids. But we're also they've they've probably just driven him into the ground mentally. But there's the other element to um to Linda that you have to remember. Linda's the only one who's done something and built anything up on her own. So he doesn't and think that she, she needs it. She doesn't need it. And that money would wind up going to Richard, who is a two timing person who's waiting for Harlan to die and to ransom who is this awful person. So, definitely awful. Yes. so he knows that the money, if he leaves anything to Linda, then that's just going to trickle down that, that basically Richard is going to treat it like his own personal ATM machine. So it was basically a middle finger to Richard and ransom knowing that Linda is the only one who got off her butt and did anything. Yeah. And he, and he still had that sense of, secret communication with her, which we find out, you know, comes through later. But he was looking to mainly cut out Richard and Ransom. If he does that, those are two out of their lives. And Linda already has her own business that she can lean on and be uh, and and run successfully. So while it may have been a harsh to Linda, it was more of collateral damage and also a sense of she's the only one I'm not worried about. 
Mm. By the way, right behind we we talked about this before uh, with uh, with Heidi, but right behind Harlan are those two weird gigantic eyeballs. <laughs> no, they're so freaky. <laughs> they're they're definitely very intimidating too. It's just like I am watching you. I'm watching every one of you, and I have don't think I'm just this doddering old man. I've got my eyes on all of you as you come in here and beg to me in front of your in, in my study. <laughs> Let's give a. I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Steve Yedlin, who is uh, uh, Ryan Johnson's cinematographer in, in his films. Uh, in his films, he also did Looper. He did um, the the Jedi film, mm. and you have two scenes that are being intercut between them in the library, going over the scene, and Ransom and Harlan in his office. So there are two brown rooms you know with books and lights and they're intercutting between the two and because of how they're shot but most importantly because of how they're lit there's never a confusion of which one you're looking at because if this was cut and they were both lit exactly the same way they're both over either they both had the orange light of the fire or they both were overly lit cutting between one room filled with books and another film room filled with books would be absolutely disorienting. And well, the fire of- really, the fire really works in that scene just because, I mean, especially that close up on ransom and you see the fire behind him yeah. uh, as he's like going, you can't be serious. Uh, the, the, the anger that's going on between them, that fire, that firelight really lends to that. Uh, yeah. and, uh, as opposed to the cool study, the cozy study. <laughs> And you have the there's the great shot of of Harlan and of course it being lit by the fire, but that also I mean that that goes back to praising the cinematographer that knows we're gonna have two different sources of light to fill this scene up, and that's how there's never gonna be a moment of confusion of where you are in time and in space, even though we're in the same house in two very similar rooms, because of how they're lit, what the angles are. Obviously, the costume for Ransom is different in the two scenes, but it's never disorienting. And and with the hands of a less skilled cinematographer, this could have just been, uh, wait, where, wait, which room am I in now? Wait, who's, who's what? Which version of this? And it never is. Not not for one frame. Are you going? Wait, is this now or then? And and to do that with two similar rooms that are decorated in a similar way. Uh, shows, I think, a great amount of skill. Yeah, Ryan Johnson was talking about how much he loves uh, loves laying this whole last 20, 30 minutes out. And that this whole back and forth uh, is, uh, he says, it's perfect for the language of cinema. He says it's callbacks to shots with slightly different perspectives or just like using the same shot and then recontextualizing it with new information. He says he's a sucker for it. And uh, he says he was worried about the length. Like you watch this movie whole and when you when they're walking in to go have um have uh marta have that last conversation with the family before being brought into the study you realize there's still 30 minutes left in this movie and he says he was worried about that but he went back and looked at these old the old agatha christie christie movies and realized that these movies aren't even as long as knives out, but yet the last 20 to 30 minutes is always that let's put it together. Let's go back and forth and see all these different scenes that we've seen before and then put it all together, you know, as, as the detective uh, lays it out. 
The last thing I want to bring up is that they're bringing up the game Go, which I still have yeah. no clue. I have no clue how they play it. But um, you make a pretty pattern, pretty design, right? <laughs> yeah. But I love, love, love that sort of thematically, the bringing up of the game is what connects everything together. And it's a game of trying to outsmart each other. So it's as yeah. they're playing a game about outsmarting each other, as they're trying to outsmart each other. And bringing that up is how Benoit outsmarted them. So there's almost like this, it's like Russian dolls. It's one into the other into the other. And I think that's that's just clever writing. That what's the device? A device is it's not a card game. It's not you know chess. It's a game that the audience went. I'm not sure how they're winning that. I don't. And yeah. I think it's wonderful. I have no idea how to play that game. Yeah. So I had a kind of a note about that. Did Harlan told Ransom that Marta always beats him at Go. And I'm just wondering, how do you think that fit into the conversation with Ransom? Like, did he, did, did Harlan respect Marta for this? And, and maybe that was like the final, like, as he was saying, you know, shoving the knife in deeper that you're like, you're not the only one who can beat me at Go. Marta can too. And I respect her for it. Uh, and Ransom having this information and going, I thought I was the only one who could beat Granddad at Go. Uh, it's just interesting how they use this game to uh, show how uh, these three main people are kind of smart and outwitting each other in a way. Yeah. Um, well, that's uh, that's why this is so good. That's why <laughs> it's so rewatchable. Mm-hmm. And why there are several more minutes. And you know what? I've done up until this point where I did 10 with you and I have done three of these. So I've done 13 of these minutes so far and I still <laughs> love talking about it. And I have two more left. I got two more left. And so I would love it, Robin, if you could work out with your management <laughs> and bring you in to, yeah. uh, to do these last two minutes here with me. I think but, I could. <laughs> and then after that, you and I are going to play some go. All right. I don't know how to play, but it should be fun. Well, let's figure it out. We're going to figure that out one minute at a time. But, hey, thanks so much, Robin Bird, for being part of this. And we're going to pick it right up in the next episode of Knives Out Minute. I'm your host for this week. My name is Paul Francis Sullivan. Peace out.